Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. We have a special show for you today. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist. I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And I couldn't be more grateful to have with me today a friend, a colleague, a fellow registered dietitian, a farmer, most recently, and a prolific author, Diana Dyer. Diana, welcome. Thank you. Diana, I first heard you speak at a St. Louis Dietetic Association meeting, and you were speaking about what you're most, probably the one area in dietetics that you have the most expertise, both both personally and professionally, and that is cancer. You are the author of a wonderful book. We were talking before the show, and we're saying, you know, I don't think that there's any family that hasn't been touched by cancer in some way. And your book, A Dietitian's Cancer Story, truly is information and inspiration for recovery and healing. You are a three-time cancer survivor, is that right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had a childhood cancer called neuroblastoma and then two subsequent breast cancers, the first when I was at age 34 and the second when I was 45. And what led you to write this book? What led me to write the book was actually the journey that led up to that. And that started, I think, the moment I asked my oncologist, after I finished chemo, what can I now do to help myself? And there was this long silence. And during that silence, I realized there weren't easy answers. I was on my own, and off I went. And although I was a long-term cancer survivor, I don't think I'd ever actually look at recovery after chemotherapy like I did this well, the, the second time after my second breast cancer. So I was 45 years old at that point. I'd basically been a lifelong cancer survivor, but I had never actually gone deeper than simply coping with life as it moves along so quickly. And after that second breast cancer, after asking my oncologist, what can I do to help myself, because I really was not confident that I wouldn't get cancer again in some way, shape, or form, either a new cancer or a recurrence, that is when I finally turned around to look at my long, cancer, my long history as a cancer survivor and realize I needed to do more for myself than just simply put my blinders back on, jump back into my old life, and just keep going at 1,000 miles an hour. And so I took time out, although I was still working um, in a hospital as a as a critical care dietitian in a medical intensive care unit. I took time for myself to really dig deeper to understand what was needed to just actually heal. Heal not just my body, but heal my spirit after that third cancer. And it was that process that I realized became potentially helpful to other cancer survivors, 
Not that I could in any way make their life easy, but hopefully help their own cancer survivorship journey be less difficult than my own. And there was a spark. Write the book. I didn't know how to write a book. I trusted the universe that help would come my way. And I got it written, got it published, and it's been in print since 1997. And I actually reprinted it twice this year already. So it's still a very relevant book to um, cancer survivors of all types, uh, not just breast cancer, and still is very useful to people even also no matter what stage of cancer survivorship they're at. Well, I have the eighth printing from 2002. Okay. What number are you on now? I, You know, I actually have officially lost track, but I'll just say I think I'm at the 13th. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So the 13th time it's been reprinted since 1997. You know, Diana, um, there's a, on page 18 of my version, you write... I believe true healing does not have to be a cure and is only possible through a holistic, multifaceted approach providing for physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual needs. And over the past month, we've had lots of conversations about health care, the health care system, and this, this idea of needing a more holistic approach. In your own journey, what did you what really jumped out at you as being maybe missing from from the healing process well the first thing that jumped out at me and i'm sure this is because i am a registered dietitian is flashing back to 1997 how little attention was paid to food and nutrition diets and meals um for cancer patients, people going through therapy, and there was zero, and I mean zero, for cancer survivors, zero information, and perhaps that's why my oncologist gave me, you know, this long silence when I asked him what I could do to help myself at that time. So as a registered dietitian, that is the first place I started Obviously, looking at diet and nutrition and what did we know, what didn't we know, what was I doing, what could I do better, because even a registered dietitian can make her diet healthier, what research was out there that would give me some real um, bang for the buck, so to speak, if I did make um, changes. But then I moved beyond that because that was the easiest thing for me to do. And while it jumped out, like boom, bang, there was, nothing there at that time, Um, I went much further than that and really looked at this from an emotional recovery, a spiritual recovery, uh, besides a, a total physical recovery, and that is not an easy process. The fact that I did it by myself, basically stumbling through step by step by step because I was very determined that I was going to explore all facets of this. It really is what has led to, at least in some progressive cancer centers today, this, the development of a cancer survivorship team that actually is putting together a support network, support system, support staff programs in place to really um, offer this to every cancer patient 
not every cancer patient is ready to take advantage of this at, at any time, and that really, at, you know, at the beginning of diagnosis. But that's really the beauty of this, the, you know, a program such as this is it presents it as um, sort of an ongoing thing. It's, I don't know that you ever reach a point in which you are completely, oh, you know, healed to the point where you never think about it again. I don't, I, I don't think that happens. Mm-hmm. So, Diana, one of the things that I really like about your book is that you address people's frequently asked questions about diet and cancer treatment and prevention, and you also talk about culinary herbs with anti-cancer activity. You talk about basically living day-to-day. You've got thoughts on different things that people might eat to improve their likelihood of preventing cancer from recurring. How did you research all of this? Well, I'm a reader. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I was so lucky that in the mid-90s, when my last breast cancer diagnosis was, was basically the start of the Internet age. So right. I certainly could not have done it and done it so quickly and easily without access to the Internet because not only was I reading information on the Internet, I was able to track down searchers on the Internet, you know, by the Internet, and then be able to contact them through email or through phone calls or meet up with them at um, research meetings so that I could actually discuss research with them and make sure that I was fully understanding and then putting into practice the, the best guess so to speak, where research is still not definitive. Well, and that's a real problem for anyone dealing with cancer or any chronic disease in that you go online and it's depending on how you, uh, how you write the question, how you, the wording that you use for the question. Many of us don't know whether or not the information on the Internet is, is true or false. Um, there are many people who are waiting in the lurches to take people's money, especially when people are dealing with desperate situations. What can you tell people when they're searching for information? You know, how do we know if something is credible? Well, look to see if you can actually get a really good understanding of who put up the website or who put up the information. Is it just words, or do they actually tell you who these people are so that you can backtrack through the Internet as to who they are, what they've done, um, how good their research has been, or just, you know, what if you can discern what their motives are. On my website in particular, and actually on all three of my blogs also, I accept no advertising of any kind and never have so that... Anything that goes up on my website is based on my own best understanding of the research. I want it to be as accurate as possible. There's no influence on my website in any way, shape, or form if, um, because no one is paying me any money to put any information up there. And that's one way you can help to discern what, what is the purpose of a website and therefore give you some sense of reassurance or non-reassurance about the accuracy of the information. 
I agree with you, and I think asking the question, you know, who is behind the website, not always easy to tell, but certainly if someone is selling something, that's always been a red flag for me, you know, a magic supplement yes. that you can't get anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody asks you one question, and that is, Diana, what do you eat? What do I eat? Yes, I would say not only do they ask, they look in my grocery cart. That's right. <laughs> yes. I eat a a plant-based diet. That means it is mostly plants. It is mostly organic food. It is mostly food that we grow or has been grown locally within our area. I have recently introduced small amounts of animal protein back into my diet after years of being a near vegan. But I have done that based on a comfort zone that I have with where my where my food is coming from. And so I know that the the dairy products, I know the source of the dairy products, I know the source of my eggs, I know the source of my chickens, my turkey, even my salmon. I know where that has come from, exactly which fisherman has caught it. And and the same with, uh, you know, any beef that I consume. And so I eat very little of it, but now I have started reintroducing a little bit for variety in my diet, for interest, and also to support our local farmers and yet, in, in spite of that, I would say the vast majority of my diet is fruits and vegetables. It is beans and legumes. It is um, whole grains and nuts and seeds. And that is um, that's what I eat. And it, it probably is because I also enjoy cooking. And I make the time for cooking. And so it's part of cooking has been part of my healing process. I deliberately have carved out time for not only cooking meals, but for my family eating together. And now it's just my husband and myself, but we eat together every night, every night. And even when my boys were still home and, you know, they were teenagers and we didn't give anything up. I mean, and they didn't either. They still played soccer. They still had student council. They still had, you know, their multiple activities. But as long as any one of them, either of them, were still living at home, every morning before we scattered, we decided what time were we eating together today. Sometimes it was 4.30 in the afternoon when people's schedules could sort of, you know, coalesce together. Sometimes it was 9.30 at night, but we did it every day. And that was special time for us. To us, you know, that was part of our family, our family's healing time because cancer is not just the patient. Cancer is the family. And it became very important to us and has continued, I mean, for the last 15 years. That is just it's something that we made you know, a central spot, a central time in our life. Mm-hmm. I should tell our listeners that I have had the pleasure of eating with you, and it really is a spiritual time where we sat together, and you, I remember you had a bowl of inspirational messages, Yes. and mm-hmm. we, we pulled one out each, and we read it, and it really did, it was a way of setting the table. It's a way of saying grace, of being so grateful for, you know, everything that we have from 
obviously the food that is before us that took many, many hands, you know, to produce and get to that point to our health and our friends and our family and, you know, the the blessings in life that we have, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but every single day. I agree. And unfortunately, we tend just to focus on those blessings and we sit together really predominantly on Thanksgiving, but if only we could extend that, as you say, throughout the whole year. Mm -hmm. If you're just joining us, we are speaking with Diana Dyer. She is a registered dietitian, most recently a farmer. We're going to get to that here in a moment, and also a prolific author. She's based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but she is recognized nationally for her work with cancer prevention, cancer treatment, and diet. I want to also mention that you recently took a totally different career path and that you and your husband recently bought a farm. Oh, we've had so much fun. And when you say we've bought a farm, we bought a dream. We didn't buy a working farm. We bought an overgrown piece of land, (laughs) a home that nature had invaded, plants and animals, And we've had it now for 15 months, and not only have we tamed and and essentially re, I don't know, brought some real um, life and a little bit of order back to this um, property, but we've had our first commercial crop, and we've actually been successful with that. We've decided to actually go back to a dream that we had when we were um, young and in graduate school that we never acted on. At that time, we wanted to even drop out of graduate school and become organic farmers. But um, for a variety of reasons, we continued with grad school and a fairly conventional life, but we decided if we were not getting any younger and if we were ever going to go back to a dream, we had better do it as quickly as possible. And so a li- In May of 2009, we bought this property uh, with the idea of starting an organic farm, and we planted 40 varieties of garlic last fall, so fall of 2009, harvested it. In July of 2009, we we completely sold out at three local farmer's markets with selling to a couple of chefs also in our location. And now we are planting again for next year, completely doubling our crop. We're planting um, approximately 15,000 garlic cloves in the ground by hand on our knees. And um, we'll be harvesting next July. Well, and I I should also let our listeners know that I had the pleasure of visiting this, this dream farm. And it really is a beautiful work in progress. And what I loved is that you had a, a swing set up overlooking the rows of garlic. And what a beautiful thing to do is to just sit out and watch and to watch the plants grow and to see, to at the end of the day, to sit and look at, at the work. And I find it absolutely wonderful that you're planting garlic, which of course is included strongly in your dietitian's cancer story, as one of the most beneficial foods that we can eat to help prevent cancer. But, you know, and that's certainly one factor in what we chose to start with, but I would say the primary factor is that garlic is a flavor food. Oh, gosh, it's I find it difficult to even think about having a meal without at least a touch of garlic in something because it just accentuates and 
magnifies the flavors of so many other foods and just brings such pleasure, you know, to eating. And I've really come to the conclusion that food should be about pleasure as job one, first and foremost. And everything else is just a should. I should eat it because fill in the blank. You know, there's a hundred good reasons why we should eat something. But if it doesn't taste delicious and flavorful so that you actually want to have either a second helping or want to prepare it in a different way on a different day or buy a different variety from a different vendor to really, you know, increase your experience with food, that that just to me seems like the what we should be promoting and helping people learn and experience is that true enjoyment that comes from cooking, buying food, cooking food, creating a meal, and then eating with, you know, eating a meal with friends. And I also love that you're bringing dietetic students from the university to your farm. It's a piece of dietetic education that is oftentimes missing from the curriculum, right? Oh, completely. (laughs) I've actually had dietetic students from, you know, a major agricultural um, university or a major university that has an agricultural college within it actually contact me over the Internet and say, I'm not quite sure, it doesn't make sense, but why is our program where we are supposed to be food and nutrition experts when we're done, why do we learn nothing about how food is grown? It seems to me that maybe you know something about agriculture, so would you come and talk to our class? And this was a student that contacted me, a dietetic student, undergrad student, and I thought, well, isn't that interesting? She found me through my one of my blogs where she must have read something about my, you know, our family's farming, and I'm certainly, I'm certain I'm not the only dietitian um, in my state even that knows something about agriculture, but at least that internet presence, you know, she found me, so off I went to Michigan State to um, give them some sort of my my take on helping dietetic students and dietitians in general step backwards several steps from a, a former you know from a traditional starting point of we are what we eat to instead start to understand that we are what we grow and to you know get their hands in the soil and their get their knees dirty and you know, just really experience the joys of being outside, along with the hard work. And that's probably the main thing, you know, that they really, I hope they learn and understand is that the amount of hard work that really grows it goes into growing good, healthy, clean, fair food. And then to be able to advocate for including that wherever they are in their professional setting. Well, and I want to say not only are you a prolific writer, because that's really not a true statement, You are a prolific writer, but you are also a beautiful writer. And I want to make sure that our listeners know how to find you online. So the the one-stop shop for Diana Dyer is simply www.dianadyer.com. But I also want to mention two blogs that you write that are fantastic. One is 365 Days of Kale, and the other is Cancer Victory Gardens. And you talk about how we can cultivate our health through a garden's ability to nourish both body and soul. I think that really sums up your work today. 
I do. It sums up my work. I think it sums up my life, and it sums up, I think, my hopes also for the for well everybody, um, but particularly for dietetic students, and you know, real helping them realize that they have such a role to play with the maintenance of health and the sort of helping a person cultivate health, whether they're maintaining it or whether they are recapturing it after some particular, um, you know, disease, illness, or traumatic event that, you know, it can be done and it is a, it's a big picture and it's, there's a, a lot of ways to be involved. I think there is a great longing to reconnect with the earth and I thank you for helping us see that light. Diana, I want to ask you in closing if there is anything that I neglected to ask you that you would like to share with our listeners. Oh, you know, I don't think you neglected to ask me, but if if it would be all right, I'd actually just really like to share a blessing that we actually frequently use in our house. Perfect. And it's by Julian of Norwich, who was a a woman writer, actually, in a long, long time ago, 1373. And she says, Be a gardener, dig a ditch, toil and sweat, and turn the earth upside down and seed the deepness, and water the plants in time. Continue this labor and make sweet floods to run and noble and abundant fruits to spring. Take this food and drink and carry it to God as your true worship. That's beautiful, Diana. Thank you. I just want to once again thank you for your work, for being on our program. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone to count our blessings. I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. And I want to remind our listeners that we have been speaking with Diana Dyer. She is a registered dietitian, a prolific and beautiful author, wonderful blog writer, and most recently, a garlic farmer. And if you'd like to know more about Diana's work or learn more about how you can order her book, which is simply A Dietitian's Cancer Story, it is truly information and inspiration for recovery and healing. That's www.dianadyer.com, and Dyer is spelled D-Y-E-R. Thank you, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Diana, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for joining us, listeners. Happy Thanksgiving and a friendly reminder that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri.